0: To get 50% off, that's code SELLINGWITHLOVE50 at FACTORMEALS.com slash SELLINGWITHLOVE50, and you'll get 50% off. Not bad.
1: A lot of my friends are retired or retiring, and a lot of them are consciously or unconsciously going through the I coulda, I shoulda, I woulda. And that's not a way to live a life. Yeah, there are extenuating circumstances. I needed to pay the mortgage and then have kids. I get it, but there are things you could do to get off your butt and start thinking about it. Plug
0: into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Mindvalley is bringing you the most advanced education in the world. If you are a member of Mindvalley, know that you're going to get access to all of this for less than $2 a day. See, most schools like Harvard charge thousands of dollars for a college education, and we think this is rubbish. We know that in five years from now, you will be better equipped when you get to study from the likes of the incredible teachers that we bring on the Mindvalley platform with the curriculum design, the amazing storytelling, and the technology that really enables you to truly transform. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member of Mindvalley. Hi everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to another episode of Superhumans at Work. Now today we're gonna be talking about a field that we've already heard about. Many people know about entrepreneurship, have heard about it, have considered it, or are actively pursuing it. And we wanna go into what has been happening, especially in 2020, when a lot of us have come to question perhaps the careers that we're in, or the businesses that we're building, into wanting to see what is the true impact it makes in the world. And the guest that I have today is a legend in the field of entrepreneurship. Steve Blank is a serial entrepreneur and educator that is retired from doing so many businesses in Silicon Valley. Get this, in 2013, Forbes listed him as one of the 30 most influential people in tech, Harvard Business Review put his story on the cover on why lean startups change everything. The man has written several books, has been at the foundation of the lean startup movement, and his Lean Launchpad class has been taught at Stanford, Berkeley, Columbia, and New York University, among others. He is a legend in the field, as I've mentioned before, and we're going to be talking about mission, focus, entrepreneurship, and so much more. Steve, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thanks for the introduction, Jason. Happy to be here. And with that intro, we could probably end the podcast on a high note.
0: I know. Well, we definitely start with a high note and we're definitely going to end on a high note too. (laughs) Now, you found yourself, you know, if we go back a bit in history, you've been in, you know, a serial entrepreneur and it sounds like a lot of your history actually started in the defense sector. Am I correct to assume that?
1: Well, that's a polite way for saying I was uh, one of the hundreds of thousands or millions of Americans in the Vietnam War. And I found myself in uh, Southeast Asia and spent a year and a half there and and learned some skills and learned some things about myself that actually had me in good stead for the next couple of decades.
0: I see. And then when you looked at the lean startup movement, for those who aren't familiar, I mean, I know this is a whole new methodology when it comes to looking at the way you start a business is not the same way that you look at a large business and the way that they need to set priorities. Could you give a quick overview of what was that movement and how significant it was for The entrepreneurs of today?
1: Yeah, the lean startup movement took me years to kind of get my head around and years to write about, and I could probably describe it in in 30 seconds, which is, I think, great for any idea that you could explain simply. And it's simply this is that everything you think about your business, and uh, when you start, you're just guessing. You know, you're just guessing. You might kind of, because you might have come from this industry before, you might kind of know some of the customers. But there are lots of pieces that make up what's called the business model or how you make money in a, in a new venture you know who are the customers what features do they want what prices how do you create demand that is how do you get people to show up at your sales channel or at your door like what's the revenue model how are you making money how much is it going to cost to make money what are the key activities you need to become expert at which of those you need to own yourself or can you have third parties do on day one you think you know all that but Really, a startup on day one is a faith-based enterprise. It's a religious activity. And the goal is to change the faith into facts as rapidly as possible. So that was that was just the kind of the background. I could tell you what lean is, but but it just simply says is that for every passionate visionary, for every hundred passionate visionaries, ninety-eight percent of them are hallucinating. And so the question is how do we differentiate those those I believe from I know? Um, and what was really interesting is in the 20th century, if you were getting investment from you know, professional investors or even friends and family, they would ask you to write a business plan. Why? Because it's, that's what big companies did. But every entrepreneur, whether they were doing a small business or a venture capital funded business, quickly found out that no business plan survived first contact with customers. It was a document that, that investors made you read, but really didn't explain anything about it what you were going to discover. And the insight I had, now to answer your question, is the distinction between large corporations or government agencies and new ventures, whether they're startups or small businesses or restaurants. The difference is is when you're large, you're doing execution of a known business model, which is a very fancy word to say. You got large because you learned who your competitors were and you learned already in the past what customers wanted and what features and what price. But a startup? A startup wasn't executing at all. A startup was searching for a business model, and believe it or not, no one had ever made this observation and this distinction between search and execution. And we had built a hundred years of tools—you know, strategy tools, how to organize companies, how to do HR, how to do strategy—in business schools for execution, because that's where the money was at the time. No one ever spent any time thinking about well, what do startups need? And so, to answer your question for your listeners, the lean startup. That's three simple pieces. One is something called customer development, which says there are no facts inside the building, so let's get the heck outside. Let's talk to customers or partners or regulators, whatever our business is, and find out what is it they need or how the environment's changing. Number two is while we're out there, why don't we take advantage of 21st century technology and build the product and pieces of our business incrementally and iteratively to build something we call minimum viable products? So we could test those ideas as well as we're talking to people. We could actually say, so what do you think? Or what do you think about this pricing? Or what do you think about, you know, et cetera? And get some feedback very early. And then the third piece, which is just kind of a good aid, is there's something called the business model canvas, which is developed by someone named Alexander Osterwalder, which is a single piece of paper with all these nine things I mentioned. Who's the customer? What do you want building for them? Et cetera. So we could kind of remember what our initial thoughts were and what did we learn? And so we get to use sticky notes because we're going to be crossing stuff out a lot as we discover what we thought would be the product or the customers turn out to be wrong. It turns out they're somewhere over here or people don't want all these features. They want just these three. So the lean startup is basically just a way to think and act to reduce your odds of dying very early. That is a fancy word is it reduces infant mortality of startups which just means you'll <laughs> you'll die later or you'll get to live longer as you kind of say, huh, maybe I shouldn't spend all this money on day one until I actually turn faith into facts.
0: That makes so much sense. And Steve, you know what's wonderful is as you're telling me this, I realized that you've had an impact indirectly into my life for the last 10 plus years because the whole lean startup methodology, I remember I went to, this was, I believe it was about eight, nine years ago. I went to one of these things called the uh, startup weekend where they basically put a bunch of people in a group. Oh, you're familiar with it. So, and then you had to do a competition. I was on the board. Were you? There you go. So (laughs) for a while. Yep. So I did this competition. This was back when I was living in Thailand. So they did a competition at the university of Bangkok and I had a chance to compete. And I actually won that weekend with the startup idea. And this is when I got exposed to the lean startup methodology, both by you and Eric Reese. And then, as you mentioned, this business model canvas, I think even further back, I used to work for the government of Canada and in the procurement sector, they were trying to do a massive modernization project. And Alexander Osterwalter was actually one of the advisors on how to use that canvas to map out a big business. But what I've noticed in the way that you've, as I did my research, is you've adapted this to be more mission driven, which is what I wanted to focus on on this episode, because in 2020 like if we look 2019 it looks like everybody in silicon valley was going for you know cash grabs doing big startups trying to raise massive money seems like the there was a gold mine and a lot of amazing things and great startups were happening and now it seems like in 2020 a lot of that has slowed down people are kind of going back to the basics and people are even questioning why do we want to do anything? And so I wanted to hear about of your thoughts of, is this an accurate portrayal of what shift has happened in 2020? And do you see that this movement in mission-driven entrepreneurship being a massive movement that we need to embrace?
1: Well, that's interesting, Jason. So, you know, 2020 has had more large IPOs than, you know, public offerings than, than we've seen in a very long time. So at least in the U.S., you know, lots of money is still being made at incredibly large scale. So, you know, scale and greed and, you know, obscene returns. So note to listeners, that's still there. But back to your point, a lot of people have used the pandemic and, and this time either forced to be at home or, or consciously, you know, like thinking about how do I want to spend the rest of my life? Is this what I want to do? And I think this mindfulness has kind of had people start thinking about what is the purpose of, of where I'm going to work? I mean, and some of it, not the obvious, you know, for anybody still working at Facebook after 2019, it's going to be like having Theranos on your resume. I mean, you know, a a company that that started with great intentions ended up being one of the destroyers of democracy out of pure greed. So those are the obvious. But thinking about other things, if you're making the 15th, you know, e-commerce app, is this how you want to spend the rest of your life? And maybe you want to spend some time at it, you know, making some money. And then, okay, if you have... Or is there some other way you want to give back? Because, you know, eventually we all realize we're only here for a short period of time. And so, you know, Clayton Christensen called this: how do you want to measure your life? What is the value? The problem is it's only as we get older that most of us get to think about this, but some very smart, you know, folks much younger think about it from day one. I sat on and and helped a bunch of nonprofits or NGOs where people have dedicated their lives since they graduated from school or or just didn't even go to school and just said, no, this is what I want to do to change the world. But I think there's now this interesting combination of entrepreneurs with deep tech skills who are also asking that same question, because the world isn't the same as it was in the beginning of the year. And so I think this has been a great time to, even in just changing careers from if you've been in, you know, making fart apps on social media, you might want to think about, you know, do I want to do, you know, medical devices or digital health or something else or do I want to do some kind of health apps or, you know, something that makes the world better. Doesn't mean you have to get out of tech and and go back to subsistence farming, but it does allow you the opportunity to start thinking about, do you want to think I could have I should have I would, you know, when your kids ask you what what did you do for a career? saying, you know, I made people fight more efficiently on the web isn't really something you want to be known for.
0: You know, it's, it's almost like saying on your resume, what did you do in 2020? It's like, oh, I optimized the conversion rate of my fart app on social media. You know, it's not. But then it seems to me like, you know, a lot of the drives that might push some people into entrepreneurship is because of a glory of like financial freedom. Yet, I don't think people realize and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's so much to be sacrificed into growing a company and so much to be involved in doing so. And the amount of money that you make, yes, is there. But if that was the primary goal, you might as well find a job in a sales position to be able to drive revenues to a comfortable mode of living, and then still be able to ask these kinds of questions on what is the greater purpose I want to create. And so if people are just going in with the intention of the money, are you seeing them having lower success rate as well? And is that mission aspect something that gives them greater success?
1: So it's probably, for your listeners, important to build a set of taxonomies, and because I like to think about how does this all fit? Because it's not just entrepreneurs and startups and whatever. So let me give you my view. So number one in the startup world that is venture-funded startups, a small subsegment, there are the innovators, the Steve Wozniaks, if people remember that, the guy who invented the Apple one. But then there are the entrepreneurs who are their partners, the Steve Jobs jobs could barely solder a you know a chip but and, or write code even though he claimed he could but he had a skill that wozniak couldn't even understand at the same time steve understood what Wozniak invented and most startups are like that you know at tesla it was elon musk as the entrepreneur but it was jb Straubel as the innovator at Microsoft it was bill gates as the entrepreneur but it was paul allen as the original innovator and so every startup has some combination of a team or multiple teams where there's the tech developer or innovator or in life sciences, there's always the kind of head of the scientific advisory board who might've been the chief scientist. And then there's the entrepreneur who figures out how to raise $150 million. Sometimes it's one person, very rarely. And at the same time in that ecosystem, there's another player, which is risk capital, which is a fancy word for angel or venture money. And they have very different motives. Their motives is, yeah, well, they might nod their heads politely when you say you're changing the world and whatever. They're just running a spreadsheet in their head about whether this is going to be an okay return or obscene return. And that's all they invest in. So just keep that in mind for the players in at least the venture world. And let's pop all the way back up. The taxonomy I like to think about is who's an entrepreneur? Well, it turns out there's a series of entrepreneurs and businesses. So I live near the coast of California, just like you're near the coast in Bali. And there are folks I know who would spend their entire life sitting in the water surfing. But they have to pay the rent and, you know, buy food. So they have a little shack that says surfing lessons, 9.15 to 10.30. So number one, they are entrepreneurs. They, you know, work for themselves. They have a business, They're whatever, but you never confuse them with Google. So I call them lifestyle entrepreneurs. There's another type of entrepreneur that's, you know, trying to feed the family. That might open, in the old days, a restaurant or dry cleaner or a bodega, depending on the city you're in. Nowadays, they could be a web designer or database marketing person or a podcaster. And the point is, is that they're not trying to build an empire. Most of them aren't. I mean, some of them might be happy, but they're just trying to employ the family and whatever. And most importantly, both the lifestyle and small business entrepreneurs, they can't hire the best and the brightest. They hire local talent, and they certainly can't raise capital at scale because their returns are... Nowhere near what investors want. And then there are Silicon Valley type of startups like the ones I just described. Entrepreneurs, innovators, risk capital. And then there are corporate startups inside of companies. And then we finally get to there are social entrepreneurs and NGOs who want to do their own startups, but they you know, don't care about profit. They are mission driven. They're donor driven or might be a B Corp, benefit corporation, et cetera. So there are models for them. So the first thing, this was a long soliloquy to ask, okay, we just drew a taxonomy. Where are you? Are you in a for-profit company and you want to do something different? Or you want to start a, a benefit corporation? Do you want to start a pure NGO? Do you want to do volunteer work?
0: I'm very glad that you went down this path because I think it gives us exactly that blueprint to see where do we stand. And you know, in my mind, I was already saying like, hey, maybe some people go into entrepreneurship for let's say that amount of revenue to support their lifestyle, which I feel it was like that that family support, the family type of entrepreneur was the kind of image that I had in my head here. But now here you've plotted it out in a very beautiful way. And I guess the question that I was asking now that we have this taxonomy is what does the role of having a mission have maybe these different types of taxonomy to direct the success of going into that venture
1: right so there we go i knew i knew there was a purpose i was giving the taxonomy for so think about it if you're a lifestyle entrepreneur you're already living the dream you're living the mission right and it could not only be surfing you could already you could be a johnny Appleseed, or you know your life is mission driven for small business though your life is dominated typically by survival you know, and scale as just staying in business. Right? And by the way, the people who own the company is typically the manager as well. It's not like there's some board of directors and venture capitalists, etc. When I'm thinking about small business, you are the owner and the manager.
0: Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Superhumans at Work. And remember, this is brought to you by Mind Valley. If you become a member of Mind Valley, you get to unlock all of the education that truly leads to an incredible life. Our patented formula to deliver true transformation includes the best technology, amazing teachers, a curriculum that keeps you engaged and delivers you the content that leads to the best life possible. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member. And now we'll go on with our episode.
1: What's really interesting is when you get in either venture funded things or corporations now, all of a sudden the founders and the investors and the managers and the employees are very different people. So you got to ask, who are you talking about? So for example, if you're working at Google and Facebook, you're know you one of tens of thousands of people, you should wake up one morning and go, do I still want to be a cog in the machine? And I'm using them as proxies, not to beat up on Google. But yes, I will continue to beat up on Facebook or anything else that's been destructive. But you could, if you're an employee, you should wake up and say, is this how I want to you know, use my talents? And I'm doing this. Am I doing this because it's the only job I could find? And gee, because I'm not going to get rich at this company. I'm getting well-paid. Are there other well-paid jobs that better align with my values and mission? If you are the founder of a company, well, you've already made a deal with whoever your investors are. That you're either going for money or you're going for changing the world. And sometimes you're lucky enough to be able to do both IEC, Elon Musk, and some others. But most times you take money from an investor. And here's a key part took me a decade to learn the minute you take money from someone, their business model now becomes yours. It's a big idea. If you can't draw your investor's business model, there's a line in poker that says if you don't know who the fool at the table is, it's you. That's what's just happened to you. If you don't know how your investors are planning to make money by investing in you, you've just kind of signed away, you know, everything. Did I answer your question?
0: You definitely did. And you've given me that perspective on how different ways that the mission can be involved based on what is the goals that we personally have. What I really enjoy is you gave us some profound questioning that we should all be doing, regardless of the position that we hold within a company, which is asking the bigger why behind why you're doing the kind of venture you're doing, why you're working for that company. And I think it's a particularly important thing to ask now, given that if you're not in a state of surviving, which you've mentioned, if you're in that state, it's a little more difficult to think about a big mission. You have to take care of, you know, the abundance you need in your own life before you start maybe thinking of the ways that you want to make choices that are beyond your survival.
1: It's the exact Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs right now for 100%. a good chunk of the population.
0: A hundred percent. And so it sounds to me like a lot of people that would be listening to this podcast are probably in a position that they can make choices. They can decide what kind of services they want to offer, what kind of job that they can pick. And here, what we're adding is an element of making sure that we know that we have options to choose to work for a company that might be aligned with the mission and the kind of impact we want to make in our lives, which You know, it begs me the question to answer the ultimate one that I asked, which was, is there an advantage for a company to have that mission first? And you've indirectly answered it because the top talent will naturally want to use their talents in something that aligns to a mission that is personal to them. Would that be a natural flow?
1: Sure. Except remember, if you need risk capital, that is, if you need capital to grow, almost always, not always, but almost always, if I had to compete with a mission-driven company versus a company breaking all the rules, I'll pick the rule-breaking company all the time, because anytime you want to put obstacles in your own way in a mission-driven company, no one will stop you. You just need to understand what the playing field is. And so given, at least in the United States, we have very little regulation, almost none anymore, about Darwinian capitalism. Anytime you want to say, well, here are our ethical boundaries, and here's what we believe in, and here's the things we're going to not do or do. I'm not suggesting it's wrong. I'm actually saying it's right. But understand, you're not operating by yourself. If you're in a space, you're now competing with lots of people who don't believe them. And so the only possible win, and it's not the only possible win, but they're a possible win is connecting with end users and customers that buy into your ethics and brand and mission and will pay a higher price or pay a premium for the fact that you are I'll just pick one, seventh generation, or pick some other, you know, ethical company that identifies with people's values. And so what you gotta be careful for is that doesn't make you a nonprofit by accident. Or that you pick a a set of people who share your values are so small that there isn't a market large enough to support your business.
0: And you even throw in a lot of realism here because you know, if you are dealing with that one player, which is the risk capital, right? They have very clear objectives. And as you said, you know, I can't think of something like Berkshire Highway. What's his name? The, I should know this, investor. We're both
1: blanking on his name now. Yeah? Are we
0: blanking on his name? Chairman of Berkshire Highway. Hathaway, yeah. Nonetheless, I know this investment firm does great returns, but at the same time, I know they're invested in companies, let's say like Coca-Cola. And if someone believes that you want to bring healthier drinks to the world and you see Coca-Cola as a company that might not be doing as good to the world because they're bringing, you know, high- Warren sh- Buffett. Warren Buffett, thank you. I can't believe I forgot Warren Buffett's name right there.
1: We both forgot Warren Buffett.
0: (laughs) So for a company like that, he's looking at high returns. He looks at a company like Coca-Cola, whether it is that the margins are being made by selling, you know, high corn, fructose, syrup, carbonated drinks that cause obesity and health consequences, is not even being considered. It's just bearing in the returns versus I'm seeing these pressures like conscious capitalism is emerging, or I'm seeing the opportunities that are created from companies that seem to be doing a bit more ethical choices. And I'll, I'll just pick things like Whole Foods, or even looking at, you know, a mission driven company like Tesla or Elon Musk's, you know, group of companies seem to have mission first, yet still is doing excellent is able to drive a massive business. Did the mission have anything to do in that success, or was it still down to the pure metrics?
1: So I think that the two you mentioned, and again, I'll, I'll just no inside knowledge, but just as an outsider, I think it was a combination of the mission was so broad and exciting from everything from the original whole foods to spacex to tesla that we were going to change groceries we were going to change cars we were going to change whatever you attracted a class of people who were excited to take on you know what everybody else thought was an impossible task that actually made the world a better place at the same time remember you have people who build you know built atomic bombs who took on the same task because it was impossible and a challenge etc so it's not only for good high performance people like high performance challenges. So that's step one. But the differentiation between those three companies in the Manhattan Project was actually, they were also aligned with a set of consumers who actually were craving those things. That is, they tapped into a latent need for people wanted high quality, potentially organic and non-organic food at Whole Foods. You know, there was a an idea that maybe electric cars were cool, but what he did with Tesla, there were a bunch of clunky electric cars. What he did was deliver an incredible Venn diagram, an intersection of aesthetic design that didn't look like you know some square box or something out of the Jetsons. It just looked incredibly cool, something that was very fast, and then broke all the other rules about distribution channel and about not selling food dealers, about automatic updates, about their own supercharger network, about all those components that actually changed business models on top of it being cool and changing the world. The same with SpaceX, you know, Elon's line is, I want to die on Mars, just not on (laughs) a landing. That's such a great line, (laughs) you know, and everything is kind of a step to do that. But remember for all three of those companies. So they attracted world-class people who were aligned with both the vision, but more importantly, the challenge. So that's where you got the best and the brightest, not just the best and the eager, but the best and the brightest, because the bar was high for all of those. You had to be best in your field. And then they delivered products and services that weren't OK, or they were better or incredibly different than the competitors. That's what made these things work, not that they just had a mission. Does that answer your question? I think you picked three great examples.
0: And you answered the question brilliantly, and I love that we were able to uncover and unpack so much in those answers that gives us a big framework that we can look into this. So I now want to drill it back to kind of the individual. I'm an individual. I'm listening to this. 2020 has happened, and I'm in having these existential crisis right now, and I want to do something that's maybe more aligned to my values, a bit more aligned to the mission. I am hungry and I want to do something as a superhuman. Are you seeing any kind of industries that you think are most exciting to be looking into as entrepreneurs? Are there places you feel that are the places that we should be looking at solving problems on the planet? Are there good resources to find those kinds of places?
1: Yeah, it's very funny you ask that because literally today I had conversations with two people. One is a woman who's wants to use uh, advanced genetics to grow trees faster to capture more carbon. At the same time, grow pine and others at twice the rates that existing trees. You know, we could argue whether that's good or bad, whether, you know, genome editing trees are like a good idea. But the carbon capture part is something we're we're definitely going to need to fix. And at the same time, I spoke to someone who was doing, of all things, enterprise sales for a consumer, you know, tracking company who wants to get into AI-driven cancer detection. And you go well what do they have to the same to do well it was somebody with enterprise software skills in sales well you know selling hospitals is not that different than selling any large organization there's new language and new regulations you need to understand but selling to large organizations once you kind of have that skill set but she was really interested in doing something meaningful and i thought that was a great conversation because it was mission driven not just you know hey i want to now sell to hospitals no i want to help save people's lives and yeah, if I could have a sales job doing that and make money, that's great and because I'll be on commission, but I'll feel a lot better when I go home at work instead of having to take a shower of like, you know, did I figure out to help companies, you know, do tracking better for advertising versus, so I think those conversations are going on a lot. I think what I suggest to people is you really have nothing to lose. At least it can't get worse now. How, how worse can this year get? I mean, like, you know, except in California, I'm waiting for the earthquake and the meteor to hit uh, that creates the tsunami. I mean, we're, we're, we only got three left. I've already been in the middle of a forest fire here in California. So, uh, you know, I've kind of checked all the boxes except for the quake and the meteor. We already went through the election and we're waiting for January 21st here in the United States to see what happens. But seriously, for your listeners, you don't get an undo button in life. And the worst thing I've seen, I have to tell you, I'm at the stage in life where a lot of my friends are retired or retiring. And a lot of them are consciously or unconsciously going through the, I coulda, I shoulda, I woulda. And that's not a way to live a life. Yeah, there are extenuating circumstances. I needed to pay the mortgage and they have kids and they need to go to college. I get it. But but there are things you could do to get off your butt and start thinking about it. And what a perfect time now, because online are a ton of free online, you know, you want to learn about life sciences, just type life science free, you know, course. You want to learn about CRISPR, Cas9 editing, or you want to learn about diagnostic. I'm not even saying that. want to learn about a different career, literally within 15 minutes, you could, there's more stuff on the internet than there is like time you have to type it. And no one has to know where you are right now. It's wonderful. You could hold four jobs at a time and no one would know. I mean, literally, I'm not saying you should do this, but you don't even have to quit your old job before you take your new job. You could be making more sales calls than you ever could. I'm using sales as a proxy, or you'd be writing code for three companies before they figure out you're somewhere else or whatever it is. But again, I'm kind of projecting my lifestyle and how I lived my life, which was, you know, always fall forward. I always stuck out my thumb and always volunteered for new things. And so that was that was just my makeup, and I'm not suggesting that, in fact, the world would be worse if everybody lived like that, because we'd probably be dead as a human race in about three generations, because most of that stuff is risky. I'm glad we have people who are considered about what they do. and But now is a great time to be thinking about, you know, you don't get to do this again. Unless someone someone knows a shortcut, this is it. And so make it meaningful and make it matter.
0: Steve, I wish we could have a so long conversation. And for everybody listening, this was such a joy. Go to steveblank.com. We're going to put the link in the show notes. He is an active writer. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. And just to recap it for the people here is we talked about serious entrepreneurship. We talked a bit about the lean startup model. Of course, Lean Startup being that you don't have the data, you're basically guessing. And what's the best way you can go out to guess? Getting in touch with the customer, learning more about the customer, using the business model framework so that you can see where all the pieces put together. And there's gonna be links to all of this in the show notes. It's definitely something I encourage you to discover more. And of course, seeing how you can design minimal viable product or at least engineering your things very rapidly so you can test and pivot as necessary. It's a beautiful framework and you'll want to discover more about it. We then started defining what is this whole movement around mission-driven entrepreneurship and what does it entail? Being an entrepreneur, there's multiple roles we can play. If we are designing ourselves a lifestyle entrepreneur business, then you're already living to the mission that you wanna do. But it's a very first person kind of perspective on impact you wanna make. If you're someone that's you know in a small business and trying to be in a survival mode, the mission might not be as important because of course in Maslow's period of needs, your needs need to be taken care of, the needs of your family as well. Yet if you find yourself in a place of abundance, And you have choices that you can make based on the type of business you want to create or the type of employment you want to have. Important questions you can ask is that we only have one shot at this. And so what do you want to be remembered for? What is it that you want to be able to create? Do you want to go and do small optimizations or launch that 10th e-commerce store just to make a small margin? Or can you use your same skills to push forward sciences, to push forward health, push forward things that the world really needs right now? Because we are no shortage of these kinds of opportunities. A myth that was broken in my head was that I thought the world right now was actually not funding as many startups. Yet, Steve confirmed that more IPOs are happening in 2020, which means initiatives are happening, companies are being funded, and a lot of activity is happening. So, what are you using your skills for? What is the agenda that is pushing forward? And yes, we can see that risk capital, the investors that you go into companies might just be looking at the bottom line. But you've seen the exceptions that happen from the examples that I've listed, such as Whole Foods, SpaceX, and Tesla. Steve has shown that they've been able to attract the top talents because not only the mission, but they were solving a challenging problem. And when you're a type of entrepreneur that wants to make a dent in the universe and you have a bold mission that is challenging, you'll be able to see that you can attract top talent. You can find innovative ways to disrupt the business model and attract the top talent to be able to do so. Investors will like that as well. Overall, this whole episode was a lot of information on all the different types of things we can look into entrepreneurship and ultimately leaving us with the big question. Why do you get up in the morning and go work? Why is it important? And what's the legacy you want to live? Because you don't want to end your life with the should have, could have, as Steve was mentioning. You want to be able to go boldly as a superhuman and really make that dent in the universe. Steve, once again, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show and everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.